0: This is uh, the second interview in a series which uh, we propose to continue and it's My Life, My Practice and today uh, Miguel Romero is joining me and we're going to talk about his life and his practice and uh, Miguel was uh, a monk at uh, (coughs) Birkin Monastery, Sitavana, for a good period of time. And uh, we met quite some years ago at the early shack monastery. So, I just want to get started back uh, with his personal history. So, you're actually born in Mexico. Yes. You're a Mexican citizen originally.
1: Yes, originally a Mexican citizen. Uh, Nowadays, I'm I'm also a Canadian citizen. Uh, I was born in Mexico City. I did uh, most of my studies there. Um, I am a chemist. Uh, I studied chemistry at the University of Mexico. Did my undergrad and uh, masters there. And then decided to come to Canada and pursue a PhD also in organic chemistry.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's go back and talk a little bit about your early days. Mexico is a Catholic country, um, one of the most Catholic countries. I, I've been there uh, uh, due to your family connections, and uh, on several occasions I've been down to teach in uh, Mexico. We we went uh, did some things in Mexico City and retreats outside of that. There's even some uh, Teravada forest monasteries in Mexico, and when I was down there, it reminded me a little bit of Thailand in some ways, because instead of Buddha images everywhere, in Thailand you see Buddha images of the the hills and the the cities and everything. In Mexico you see almost the equivalent number of of crucifixes Crucifixes. and religious saint uh, uh, icons and so forth everywhere, and of course the churches, fantastic churches, so it's in some ways it reminded me of uh, Thailand, it's a tropical semi-tropical and steeped absolutely steeped in in a religious feel right so um and now of course it's catholic though so how does a mexican boy encounter <laughs> buddhism when in your life did you encounter any any hear at all about the buddha
1: yeah i guess it's it's a similar case to some other uh, Mexicans who have become Buddhists, probably their first contact is through books mm-hmm. and in my case it was a, it was an interesting story because it was not that I directly read a book about Buddhism mm-hmm. or the Buddha, <clears throat> but it was uh, through a summary that uh, my mother gave us about the life of the Buddha. she uh, she was an avid reader and uh, uh, Oftentimes at lunch, she would uh, uh, give us a summary of whatever she had read, right. whatever book, you know. But certainly the one that impressed me the most, and that's the, that's the only one I remember, in fact, huh. is the, A Life of the Buddha. Ah. So she, she gives in this summary, uh, you know, uh, uh, I was about 10 or 11 years old. So she made it like a nice children's story. And I was fascinated and very intrigued by it. Uh, What really puzzled me was the fact that Prince Siddhartha had left the palace, and I just (laughs) couldn't understand why he had done that. Mm -hmm. I mean, at my age, and understanding that he had all these things at his disposal, you know, great food and horses and Mm -hmm. whatnot, was very, very puzzling. And I guess that really... That really stayed in, in my mind for many years. Hmm. It wasn't quite resolved at that time. I, I remember having asked my mother, you know, why would he do a thing like that? <laughs> and she would say, well, he was seeking enlightenment. Hmm. But she couldn't quite explain it, it, exactly what this enlightenment thing was. Hmm. So that answer would come much later.
0: Right. Now, why did, how did you... How do you think your mother came across this book? I mean, where, she was just a wide, wide reader. She was. A, she was. A, she would
1: read a, anything right. that came to her hands. You know.
0: Yeah, I want to just talk a little bit about your family. So, your family, um, we we visited our, uh, your family's home, and it's out. It was outside of Mexico City. Right. And, and a beautiful place, um, spacious and uh, in a smaller. What's the name of the Tihuacan. Tihuacan. And, uh, so they were quite, uh, they were sophisticated people. Your mother, of course, is still alive, and, uh, she has a broad knowledge of a huge range of things. And right. your father was a... He was a PhD in chemistry. PhD in chemistry from Harvard. From Harvard. Like and from and Harvard was Stanford. he, he was born in Mexico as well? He was born in Mexico. So he was just smart. And he was very smart, yeah. <laughs> and he, how did he get, off, how did he get shipped off to Harvard?
1: Um, uh, he, got yeah. <laughs> really? he got a scholarship. Yeah, He got a scholarship. He he did uh, very well when he, uh, you know, when he was an undergrad, and he did so well that he, he got support.
0: Wow. And your mother is a, an architect.
1: Yeah, also a PhD in architecture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And so this is a, a very uh, highly educated, very intelligent um, family. And uh, you got exposed to a range of things. And are they particularly religious?
1: Well, uh, during a certain period of, of my life, they, they weren't. But well, my father never was really. Yeah. He was. He was purely a scientist. That yeah. was his religion. Yeah. Science, Science was his religion. Yeah. Right. And my mother had had a had a conversion, maybe when I was, you know, I was in my twenties, I think. When that happened, she, hmm. she became a Franciscan, and I think this happened partly as a result of her uh, research work, which was on restoration of uh, 17th century Franciscan uh, monasteries. <laughs> so and there is her... also a connection there with monasticism, you know. Yeah. That and of course you can imagine that that was all she talked about. Right. So so it, I was bombarded with. We were, I guess, yeah. Know, my sister and my brother as well. So he we knew all about right. how they were designed and how the monks lived and so on. So, right. you know, all these things get into your head somehow. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. You, that, also in Mexico, there is a widespread monastic community. Uh, even now, as the Catholic nuns ordered... Decreases in the West, in North America, it's plummeted. And uh, even in Europe, uh, I know that they import Mexican nuns to Spain to right. fill the nunneries. But right. you you would have seen pre- lots of priests oh, around. Yes. Of course, there's yes. churches everywhere. There's monasteries, lots of nuns lots around.
1: Lots of nuns walking around on the street. Yeah, there, so very interesting. Oh
0: yes, This is this, what we call in uh, the Buddhist tradition, Samana Sanya. The uh, perception of the remember the Buddha. Um, the last of the four signs right. uh, was a um, some sort of mendicant or yogi uh, walking off to the to the woods after he'd seen the uh, the old man, the sick man, and the dead man, which disturbed him. Then he saw this monastic type, of kind of Ura right. being pre pre Buddhist type of monastic, but it. It affected him that they were looking for the meaning behind the situation. So you would have been aware of these right. these nuns, right? Uh, and I remember you telling me a story about I think even a, a nun teaching you to ride a motorcycle.
1: Oh yes, I it was it was the other way around. I she asked me to teach her how to ride a motorcycle because <laughs> she she was doing her work up in the mountains oh. in the state of Oaxaca. So it was like these dirt roads with mud. Mm-hmm. So she wanted, specifically, she wanted to know how to ride a motocross bike, <laughs> which are the ones that you can use in the mud and the yes. dirt. And it was amazing. Just the, I could witness the power of her conviction. She really wanted to get, you know, this, her her job done with these people up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have good access, so she sought the the fastest most efficient way to get to the people and she learned and she did she did use the motorcycle and so on so it was it was quite a story yeah
0: that's a very cute image that that you know the use of the of technology to get things across so um you had these things floating around in your consciousness the idea of monastics and, and all this but you went off to, into, I mean, the a bigger, a huge influence in your life is the science, and so you went off to study science, and you were quite fascinated. You were telling a little story about uh, your father, getting really catching your attention by offering to show you how to make TNT, dynamite. Oh yes, <laughs> Tell, right.
1: <clears throat> well, I, my my memories, you know, go quite far back in terms of my father teaching me chemistry when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it was usually, uh, perhaps after dinner most likely, after dinner we would have a chat and then I would stay with him and then he would just pull out a paper napkin, take a pen and start scribbling on the, on the napkin all these yeah. chemical formulas and he would very carefully explain whatever chemical yeah. concept. So I was really fascinated because it was one of his ways to reach me, you know, uh-huh. we had this bond through, yeah. through the chemistry. Yeah. Teaching and and then I guess when I was old enough, maybe I was about 12 years old, something like that. He he told me on one occasion, you know, we're gonna do an experiment. You're gonna really like it. Uh, what are we gonna do? We're gonna make TNT, <laughs> trinitrotoluene. I said, yeah. really? I mean, really? Yeah. I said, yeah. Isn't it dangerous? Yeah, ah, it's dangerous, but no problem. <laughs> it will take us a couple of days. And, yeah. So we we did spend the whole weekend in his lab preparing just a few grams uh-huh. of, of this stuff, and it was it was we, we didn't detonate it, uh-huh. just just prepared it. Uh-huh. You know? So it was <laughs> it was fascinating just yeah. to watch him, you know, manipulate, the, you know, the glassware, and yeah. it was it was I was caught. Yeah. Really, he really. Yeah, I, I guess it was his intention that I become yeah. a chemist, yeah. and, I, and I happily did actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you went off to. Mexico City University? University of and Mexico. And you did your undergraduate there. Yeah.
1: And then a and master's.
0: Now, this is your... So you're in your, what, You're 18 to about 22 or something like this? Right. And what was your... What was your view of the world at that time? Well... Did you have any uh, existential uh, yes. concerns? Uh, yes,
1: yes. Yeah? I, I must say, at that time... Uh, I did feel a little bit of pressure you know to get into the family business mm-hmm. because they, they they had this poultry business and you know they were also they also made vaccines and all kinds of things uh, all, all the things related to agriculture and even mining mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think uh, my mother and my father would have liked that I get involved in. You know, in the business, but I really try to avoid it. I, I didn't really want to know anything about business. <laughs> <clears throat> so one way to get out was uh, uh, keep studying chemistry. Yeah. So when I finished the masters, uh, my father said to me, "Well, you know, you got a masters now. You know, you have enough, you know, to get around. You know, in the, you could, if you want, you can." And I said, "Well, is there another option?" Well, you, of course. You know, you may continue studying if you want. I said, "Yeah, I'll do a PhD." Right.
0: So, um, also, you were talking about um, your father's conversation around home tend to be about about business.
1: Right. Uh, but your right. mother
0: thought it was a little imbalanced. So, tell a little bit about that sort of attempt to re to balance the atmosphere. In her
1: in her attempt to balance things, was precisely she came up with a very skillful thing, which was to to you know give us a summary of the latest book she had read. Yeah. So so this happened oh, maybe for a couple of years, you know, almost almost every day. We had a and even my father was very interested, of course, you yeah. know. So this went on for some time. So that kind of, you know, made things a bit more palatable in the in a family.
0: Yeah, and that's how you managed to hear that little Story of the Buddha, which right. which sort of stayed in your head. Right. So anyway, now you're leaving this. You're you're. It's a cu- curious kind of thing. You're you're embedded in science in one of the most Catholic countries in the world. <laughs> right. You're surrounded by this stuff. but You're more or less engulfed in a scientific worldview. Um, and so then you you went off to uh. Well, wait a sec. Let's let's talk about it. When, when was your first. Um, encounter on your own with any kind of uh, reading about Buddhism or meditation or any of that kind of stuff? Well it
1: it happened in, the very first one happened in Mexico uh, and that happened when I read a book called The Third Eye. The author was and Rampa (laughs) and it was kind of a wacky sort of book because uh, it was quite fascinating if i remember correctly it was about a man that had gone to tibet and he was seeking to have his third eye open
0: so <laughs> to speak
1: and yeah. so he went to these tibetan monasteries and he sought these teachers and they put him put him through these grueling tests you know that were necessary for them to open the third eye mm. and then eventually i think he got it and but it, I think it was some kind of a surgery, if I remember correctly, you know, like a trepanation or something like that. <laughs> it was too, it was really weird, but yeah. it had to do with Buddhism and Tibetan mm-hmm. monks, so so yeah. that really, that also intrigued me, you know. It, was, it also, also talked about superpowers, you know? mm-hmm. His psychic, psychic abilities of the monks and yeah. to read the mind and so yeah. on. So that was fascinating. And
0: were you? What were you in college, or how old were you then? No,
1: no. I, when I read that one, I must have been around 14 years old. I see. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I, so you went off to uh, immerse yourself really in not just sciences, but chemistry in particular. Yes. You, you had a real affinity for yes for chemistry, not not physics. No. Not biology, not math, chemistry. just chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see that be an influence from your father, you know, kind of yes. a transmission there. So then you you went uh, on to you decided you're going to go on and do a PhD in right. science. You went up to tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Well, uh, as I as I mentioned, I think one of the one of the reasons there were many reasons why I, I, I wanted to pursue the, the PhD program at UBC, but one of them was certainly to get away from having to work with the family. Mm. What was
0: certainly, that about? Uh, Is that did you Are you sort of non-materialistic? Is that your sort of character? Like you're yes. you never really were looking to make a lot of money. Not interested in money. Ambition about exactly. worldly ambition. So you're kind of a yes. little bit on the spiritual side anyway.
1: Right, <laughs> but it wasn't. I w- I wouldn't say I was. I was really not yet. Mm. I wasn't really pretty much into spirituality really Mm. it was just like a general aversion to money and this business yeah because i i heard so much through my life
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i just thought it was so boring you Mm -hmm. know like uh, that i just wanted to run away from it and chemistry was fun enough i really started enjoying chemistry when i did the masters Mm. i really knew it was my vocation Mm. so then i was i was really enthusiastic uh, you know, this this was the other reason. I was really really interested in chemistry, so I wanted to do a PhD. And at that time, I found out about this professor in UBC, Professor Edward, Edward Pierce, really good chemist, chemist, mm. chemist, fantastic chemist, So I I wanted to work with him. So that was was motivation.
0: So you arrived in Vancouver, and uh, that was a, must have been just a totally different atmosphere from here. Yeah, it oh, was okay.
1: difficult. My my English wasn't really very good, so I, I struggled a lot. You know, when you first arrive, you don't have friends and you're mm. alone, and you have to find a suitable place, and you don't know the language very well, and you're already on the PhD program mm. taking courses. So it's it was very stressful. <laughs> it was it was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But and and at that time I. I I was into drinking a little. I used mm-hmm. to, you know, enjoy
0: mm-hmm.
1: drinking. And that eventually that became a little bit of a problem. And, and that also had to do a lot with why I really sided towards Buddhism. Because it was right in the middle of the PhD program, <clears throat> uh, which, as I, I say, was very stressful. And so one of my ways out was to drink usually on weekends, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot. So then I came across another book, I remember exactly. It was a weekend. It was a Saturday, and I wasn't feeling very well. And uh, this book was uh, "What the Buddha Taught" mm. by Walpola Rahula, and it was the first, my first contact with Theravada Buddhism. So I started reading the book. I remember, and I had a little bit of a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I started finding out about the Noble Truths. Mm. Now, I couldn't put the book down. <laughs> it was just the most fascinating revelation, really yeah seriously it was it had so much impact and I remember that edition, which I believe was a later edition mm-hmm. uh, at the very end had some basic instructions on meditation. Mm-hmm. So when I finished the book, I decided, I want to learn how to med- I want to meditate and I want to learn how to meditate and Right. I remember getting out of bed and sitting, and uh, I, I attempted, you know, to follow the instructions, sort of general brief instructions. And I very, I remember at that very same sitting, I came to the conclusion that drinking and meditation were just absolutely incompatible. Mm. Through meditation, you are trying to make your mind clear, mm. you know, to clarify it, and uh, and drinking just models your mind mm-hmm. so it's it's they are dialectically opposite so right, right then and there I remember that Saturday I said I said to myself I will not drink a single drop of alcohol again in my life no. and I never did <laughs> from that very moment. Right. so you can you can see that the, what the influence of a you know yeah, a, of, a of, book a, book. or a single book can be it just right. completely changed my life. Hmm. For the better, of course, because I became more efficient in the lab, you know, I would get there earlier, Right. and uh, I remember I had a girlfriend, and it was a bad relationship because of my drinking with my friends, so then that stopped, I got a new set of friends, and, <laughs> and uh, everything went well, and mm. it was just so much better right away, right. so it was, it was, that was really striking.
0: Right, it's great yeah. to encounter in, at university. Yeah. Uh, That's also when I encountered uh, meditation, sort of Buddhist attitudes, and it really made everything a lot lighter and easier. And so that would be what? What year would be that? You know that that be approximately in the seventies? Was it or?
1: No, no, that was oh, that was what the eighties, end of the Mm eighties, yeah.
0: So, then, did you do anything, did you look around for Buddhists, or...
1: Yes, Uh, after having read that, I came across a, um, I looked in the yellow pages, I think,
0: (laughs) and and I found... (laughs) Good old yellow pages. uh,
1: Yeah, (laughs) and I found a, um, it was a Zen, Uh a Zen um, temple, Uh monastery, whatever, in Vancouver, I think it was on 16th Avenue or something like that. It was a Soto Zen place, so I went there, you know. Mm-hmm. And um I I I think I was I kept going for about a couple of months, but I really didn't it was not the same thing as what I had read in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, because I remember my first uh, my first lesson was just the, the monk just kind of like, we spent about an hour just on my posture. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I thought that was strange, mm. you know, being so excessively concerned about every, you know, about mm. the posture. So mm. I thought, oh, well, you know, fine, mm. this is the way it is, let's go with it. And then then the second one was just, you know, sit in front of a wall, just like mm. that. And and then the next sessions were just the same. I, they were in with a group and we just sat in front of a wall. Mm but no instruction just just and if I asked something they would say just sit mm-hmm. just sit yeah. <laughs> so I, I later on I I, I kind of understood mm-hmm. the uh, the idea but at that time it was a bit frustrating because I really needed more I, I needed more information yeah. mm-hmm. as, again I guess as a scientist you need data yeah to work with you yeah. know this was just too 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 dry too abstruse in, in a certain yeah. way you know right so and then, it was a few months after that, um, I saw, I saw um, uh, there was some announcement uh, on a board about a talk that was going to be given by a monk called Bhante Gunaratana at Robson Center mm. in Vancouver. And the talk was Dependent Origination. Mm. I just didn't know. Couldn't imagine what that was, but it's oh it's a monk, it's a Buddhist monk, so mm-hmm. I should go. So I went there and I was on the front row seat mm-hmm. and I was so eager to to hear what a Buddhist monk had to say. And then there was a second shocker. That was just I was just my knees were shaking, hmm. really. It was just so I mean I didn't understand half of what he said, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I but I knew it was just it was so deep yeah i knew that there was so much substance you know in what he was uh, mentioned like, what he was saying and just his his charisma just it was just uh, i was really taken and i was so taken that after the talk finished i went with the organizer one of the organizers uh, that was kirti senaratne and i went uh, to to kirti and i asked him uh, how can I talk to this monk? I need I need to talk yes. to this monk. I have many questions. And he said, oh, um, I think we can arrange this. We, we we can arrange. Let me just talk to him. And so he went off and talked to Vante. And he came back very quickly. And he said, oh, yeah, he'll see you tomorrow at such and such yeah. address, uh, the, the Silva's, uh-huh. the Silva's home in Vancouver. And he'll be expecting you at... In the morning, nine o'clock-ish, something. Like that. I said, "Wow, fantastic!" And then what I did is I wrote down all my questions. I remember it was about 50 questions in this notebook. And the next day I arrived at the Silvas, and they were they were about to offer the meal, the so I was in, I I got to witness that, and so it was it was a shocker. I, I mean, I had never come into contact with you know Sri Lankans. Or the customs, <laughs> I didn't know anything, mm-hmm. so it was all very strange and very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the food was fantastic. They mm-hmm. were very hospitable, you know. They yeah. they were so nice to me. I just thought, oh, these people are mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah. So <laughs> I had great food, and then uh, and then Bante said to me, you know, after you finish with your meal, you you come here and we'll mm-hmm. talk. And so we did. And he was so kind that uh he not only gave me a couple of hours there but he said he said you know we are going to go for a walk in stanley park yeah. you like to come with me you come along and and we'll continue discussing this and so it was like i was just totally taken yeah it was just incredible mm. and then we had we talked for hours and uh, he answered all my questions and i was just completely fascinated mm. by the whole thing and he said you should come to some retreats and my monastery in West Virginia and I said absolutely. So to make a long story short, uh, after a couple of months, I was doing my first ten-day retreat in mm-hmm. West Virginia. So I got to meet all these great monks there, Pantarajula, Pantamaratana, and some nuns as well. So it was mm-hmm. that's that's how the ball started rolling, really. Right. You know, that was I have made contact now. Right. So it was it was fascinating.
0: Is there any uh, conflict coming up with scientific attitudes and this Buddhist thing which is just well, so different?
1: I guess not not personally, but certainly I you know, in discussing Buddhism or science with other people, there seemed to be some kind of you know kind of contradiction. But I really never saw any any real contradiction. I mean there are different things, obviously. Mm. I, I guess part of what I saw was that sometimes people wanted to fuse the two things, you uh-huh. know, yeah. which I think is a mistake. You know, science is science and mm-hmm. Buddhism is Buddhism. Of course, they, they there's some commonalities, certainly, uh, and uh, but apart from that, you know, um, I really never felt it as a conflict or conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, certainly not. Right.
0: So you, then, um when did you first meet me?
1: Oh, uh, remember I mentioned that Kirti introduced me to Bhante, Gunaratana. So then I became friends with Kirti and uh, we also started uh, going to Jim Plasek's uh, home to mm-hmm. meditate. So I would meet Kirti there and then I think it was the very first time over there he said to me, Oh, you know what? You should know about this you know there's a Canadian monk who had just arrived from, from Thailand and he's in a place called Pemberton he's starting a monastery I said, really hmm. I just couldn't believe it hmm. yeah so he said yeah 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 I'll, you know I'll take you there so I remember that was my first visit to to see you at the at the Shack Monastery and that was also <laughs> that was also quite an experience because that was my first contact with with, uh, with an ascetic monk. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, that impressed me even more. I mean, because so uh, up to that point, it had been only theory and mm-hmm. hearing talks and reading books, but I had never seen how a monk
0: lived. Mm-hmm.
1: So that was even more impressive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and particularly uh, the way you lived you know it was really it was true asceticism I mean you were sort of really it was a very extreme at least I perceived it as a very extreme uh, way of life you know because food didn't come easy and the shack was very run down and you had to work a lot and doing repairs from scraps and mm-hmm. and then uh, well, there's so many stories <laughs> you <laughs> know there's so many stories about that I, I personally saw you stoking that that uh, Wood furnace every couple of hours and mm-hmm. winter, you didn't have almost any sleep
0: <laughs> for, for years. For how many years? Just <laughs> three, three and a half years. Just
1: ago. imagine a monk never sleeping. <laughs> I mean, that was really, uh, yeah. that was, I mean, I guess when people come here to Birkin and see this place, yeah. they just have no idea of, yeah. Yeah. You, what? they have no idea of, of, in a certain way of who you are. Uh, because they they didn't get to see that part yeah. and then when and well, Piedamo arrived and he was also quite extreme he was a, and so the two of you w- was quite a team and it was impressive mm-hmm. it was really I mean that's what really got me
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know I, I, I want to be at least a tenth of what they are I mm-hmm. would love to be like that and, and that's when I sought the ordination
0: yeah yeah right so and I remember you you asked for ordination and that you were a at that time, you were a associate professor or something? Yes, at a,
1: UBC. Associate research associate. Profe- research, associate.
0: Rese- research associate. Yeah. Pretty ideal job. Yes. Pretty hard to step out of that. In fact, How I had. Have... you just drop out of. <laughs> That's dropping out of school at an advanced stage already. Right? In
1: fact, I had been offered uh, a position at the University of Victoria. Mm-hmm. and uh, And I refused it because mm-hmm. I had already you know, made up my mind. So that my my supervisor was in shock, I just couldn't believe it, it was like, just couldn't believe you know, it. Right. This young, you know, this young chemist, you know, being so, so hard working and so on, you know, and how could he just leave it to go and become a what?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. So this <laughs> like, is kind of interesting that it's working out that same mysterious question you had about why would the Buddha leave the palace? Yeah is now being answered right now you're the buddha leaving the palace (laughs) right so this is interesting also that uh the first in this series was uh with Ajahn pavaro and he was also a professor of what at the university of calgary and he left it to become a monk as well so i seem to have this karma with professors leaving (laughs) becoming monks um So then you you became you were the first um, monastic that I had given uh, ordination to, and I I uh, I had a, uh, finished ten years, and I you were I was able to, to uh, give you sa- uh, novice ordination. I think Ajin Pasno came up from California to perform right. the first novice ordination. By that time we were at Princeton Monastery. At Brooklyn, too. Yeah, yes. which is a very uh, basic, but it's it had. Electricity and a flush flush toilets and things like that. So that was a, a different phase of it. So you you went on and became a monk and um, and practiced uh, for. So how long were you in the ropes for the So toy?
1: it was one year as a novice and then five years as a big... Right. So overall, you could say six years. Right. right. Monastic life. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And what kind of adventure was that?
1: Well. What can I say? I mean, if you know, if if reading a book shaped my life, I could say, you know, quite drastically. What can six years as a monk do? Mm-hmm. It, it just, I think you once mentioned the term, you know, it being like a lobotomy.
0: <laughs> right? it's like you get this very nice, yeah. very nice lobotomy, <laughs> you know?
1: and uh, and then you know, that's it. You, you you're changed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For right for good it, yeah. of course for know. good and for oh, the wonderful yes yeah uh yeah it's a dramatic experience and entering into a different world and a different worldviews. and you we eventually started... and of course uh, so then we went to Mexico now you you've um done some translations as well yes so you and you teach as well yes now You're, like, what what are the book you you translated Mindfulness in plain English. That
1: was the first book I uh, translated, yes, and probably the most popular.
0: So this is very interesting, because that's Bhante Gunaratana, the first monk, Theravada monk that you met. Right. And uh, that was his uh, first book, or it wasn't his first book, but it was the first one that became very popular.
1: Right.
0: And I actually saw it in manuscript form before it was a book. You contributed? Yeah, yeah, was working on some of the things in it. But um, so that's that's nice. And uh, of course, I imagine when I heard that you translated into Spanish, it would be mindfulness in plain Spanish. But it doesn't work. That title doesn't work. So how in Spanish? What what is the title?
1: uh, The el cultivo de la atención plena. The Cultivation of Mindfulness.
0: Uh, so you just so dropped the the, the, Spanish. the title had to change, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't, yeah, yeah. Some things don't work. in
1: Some things just don't work uh, in a direct just, translation. No.
0: Uh, so you're, uh, we actually established a little uh, bit the beginning of a Bihara in Mexico. We, I went down a few times with you and we, we taught in Mexico City. And of course, um, translation was really easy because you'd been with me for a long time. Right. And so when I talked, uh, you could instantly do the Spanish translations. And it's quite a... There's a certain class of people. I would say that Buddhism does not arrive in in a culture with the poorest section. It usually arrives at the top. You saw this at the time of the Buddha. Quite often it was kings. Right. And aristocracy. Right. uh, Who were the first people to understand that. And then it spread out from there. So in Mexico... It's more or less the educated class yeah, that intellectuals. have found these yeah. by reading. And yeah. uh, they've taken it up with quite a bit of enthusiasm as well, haven't yes. they? The meditation and so
1: forth. Yes. If you, if you recall, one of the, the groups we visited was uh, Vicky Gursas. Yes. Vicky Gursa, she's a Mexican lady. I would say she was the pioneer in introducing the teachings in Mexico. Right. Yeah. She She's a lay teacher up to this day and... Uh, She's, she's devoted all her life to, uh, to teaching Buddhism.
0: Right, and she is influenced by the Thai meditation tradition as well. Right, correct. And I was very amazed when I went to Mexico that the, the Mexicans uh, easily uh, adapt to the formalities that the, are common in uh, Asian countries. Uh, Buddhism. They take they take the five precepts in Pali, and they 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 wear white, and they bow, and they offer things, and that they because it's a formal culture, it has the legacy of uh, Catholic culture. It hasn't tossed out the right. The, the, it didn't have the that revolution that was in the states and Canada. The kind of the counterculture that. Rejected a lot of the formalities. Yes, they're so, secular. Yeah, and they so they it's really <clears throat> quite comfortable as a monk to, to be there. They, it just feels that they they have no problem with formalities. Right. And uh, so then so we, we now you're back to after six years you disrobed and you are teaching teaching and meditating and. doing some translations and
1: leading retreats as well uh in the retreats are um i've always done them at the Dhamma vihara in mexico so you were mentioning that that one of the occasions when you went there it was just an incipient incipient Mm -hmm. project with uh, venerable usi lananda who has now passed away and uh, venerable unandisena who is now uh, who has been ever since the resident monk there Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where I do the uh, the retreats every year. Um, we have these usually ten-day retreats.
0: Right, and even recently I was in England in uh, May at the in the Abbot World Abbots Meeting, and one of the Anaguericas there was from Mexico, and yeah. he, he's German-Mexican, and he's also a uh, chemist, I think. He An-
1: Andreas Ehrensberger. Yeah. Yes, he's a biochemist, PhD. Yeah. And in fact, one of his uh, one of his teachers was a Nobel Prize winner ah. in biochemistry. Right. So the guy's good. Yeah. Or, or he was very good. Yeah. As a scientist, really tall.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, and I was, uh, and he was. He's very enthusiastic. He's a uh, he's uh, looking forward to becoming a monk. And so he had he had come to some retreats with you? Is that yes, how he... Yes, that's how we some, met.
1: Yeah. He came to one of the retreats. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we met in Mexico City. We talked a lot. And, yes. Yeah. And yeah, he, he had this idea of becoming a monk. And, right. and so he's... I believe he's now a... He's now a summoner. Just right. He very recently became a summoner. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: what we're, we're seeing is, is this... The, how this happens. You know, am I... I'm going off to Asia and everything and... Uh, eventually coming back where I'm living in a broken down shack in the middle of nowhere and then one little contact happens and then the circle it spider webs out and it goes down to Mexico and then, and what about South America these days is there much going in the in the generally in the Spanish speaking world
1: yeah well I, I personally come in contact as a as a teacher with some uh, people in Uruguay mm-hmm. yeah so i i keep uh, contact with them uh, with a group There and of course, there's Argentina, but uh, Venerable Unandicena he he takes care of that. He's got the Argentinian group as well, and also he has a strong contact with Spain.
0: Now, Nandicena is they established a forest monastery in Veracruz. Right, that's correct. It's it's nice and Mm -hmm. high, it's about 5,000 foot elevation, Mm -hmm. and I, I did a couple of retreats there. He gave a couple of retreats there, and he's a very f- a nice monk. And he's actually, so he's from Venezuela. No, he, he's
1: no, he's, he's, from, he's Argentina. from
0: Argentina. Yeah, Argentina. Yeah. And uh, so there you go. He's been a monk now for 20, more than 20 years. More than 20, yeah. I believe, yeah. And he came through the Burmese uh, yes. connection, Usilananda. Usilananda. Usilananda was also at my ordination. He's exactly the same reigns as Bhante Gunaratana. They were both they were both at the uh, sixth council in Burma in 1953 or whatever it was, right before I was born so uh, and they were the youngest two monks at the council, and so they knew the, each other from there so and Usi Nanda was had my ordination and I, I to this day, I remember he, he was uh, he offered some advice at, at the end of the ordination, and it was this. You know you must follow the Vinaya, that's all he said. Wow, <laughs> I said, I'm up for it <laughs> and uh so he's uh again a kind of a missionary monk, yes, who uh, came to the u s uh, as well as Bhante Gunaratana. And they're they really early um pioneers, Asian monks bringing it the Dhamma and meditation, and in case of Usanda, some abhidhamma um yes. approach as well, and so now we have this Nanda Sena. Argentinian monk and he is also making connections with South America and Spain. Spain. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think? Is there some kind of little little culture growing in all of these countries?
1: Yes, in fact, he, um, he established what we call nowadays the uh, Hispanic Institute for Buddhist Studies. Mm-hmm. And he's actually taken on the online Thing and uh, we've uh, participated in, uh, in courses uh, that we prepare online for mm-hmm. Spanish speaking uh, right. people all over the world. So they get the courses in Spain, in South America, and so on. So it's a, it's a very interesting uh, project. Right. So they, they built a, an institute sort of for it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they are doing some construction at the monastery. They have some buildings there just specifically for the functions of the institute. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so yeah, it's very uh, he's he's very hard working and he he likes to teach Pali. He's that's his his thing. Venerable Nandisena is very interested in the
0: Pali. Yeah. Now your present uh, abode is in Canada.
1: Yes, just recently moved back to Vancouver.
0: Mm-hmm. But not in uh, you're not. Uh, Professor of chemistry at. The no, no, at I'm
1: moment. I'm on early retirement. uh
0: uh-huh. Yes. And is the is the joy of early retirement the opportunity for meditation and things like that?
1: Definitely. I I've like the last few months I've, I've spent quite some time uh, doing translation. We uh, together with uh, an an Argentinian uh, friend R- Ricardo Schwarzer, uh, we just finished translating uh, The Island. Ah. by Ajahn uh, Pasano and oh, Ajahn oh, Amber. Oh,
0: wonderful. So
1: it's, that's quite a work. It's a compilation of what's uh, written about uh, Nibbana yeah. in the canon. Yeah. So it, that, was, that, that was a real challenge. That was a, it, well, it still yeah. is, because we're still working yeah. on it. We, the, the first draft has been finished, but you can imagine just how the technicalities are really a challenge. Yeah. And we, uh, we now have a very, uh, really great editor in Mexico City, mm. who is actually, you know, finishing the last touches on, on the book. So we, we are hoping to have a very well-written version of that right. book. <clears throat> so that's what I've been working on and, lately.
0: And yeah. Ajin Pasno and Ajin Amaro know that you're working on this?
1: I believe Ajahn Amaru is the one. He's, he's been yeah. in contact with Ricardo. He, ah, he, so. Because sometimes Ricardo has questions. Obviously, yeah, you know, questions will right. come up, so he has to talk to him directly. Right. So he gets in touch with him. And,
0: and this is another kind of feedback loop because Ajahn Pasano was your actual upajaya. Yes, I'm and, the uh, I was the acharya, the the teacher, yeah, but and, the actual ordination. Uh, was performed by Ajahn Pasano right. at a Bayagiri Monastery.
1: Right. And so this Ajahn Amaro was the Kamabacha Acharya? Yeah. Well? Ajahn Amaro and I yeah.
0: did these uh, yeah. common yeah. memorized thing. And um, about Ajahn Pasano also did your uh, novice ordination. Yes, correct. And we had him up in Canada at nice. the Birkin Monastery. So Ajahn, Ajahn Pasano is, just for the people watching this, is the abbot of... Abhayagiri Monastery, and Ajahn Amaro, they were formerly co-abbots of that monastery. Ajahn Amaro is now at Amaravati Buddhist Monastery in England. And these are the two largest um, of the Western uh, branch monasteries of Ajahn Chah. And um, these these two monks have been very, very influential and um, played critical roles in uh, bringing the uh, the forest tradition to uh the West. And so it's really uh a nice the connection is just a spiderweb of you can't just you just touch it here and it, it, it spiderwebs out the whole Buddhist world. <laughs> so uh in the end quite a quite a story. It's uh it's a little bit like the Hobbit, you know, they uh go off on this mystery Right. Journey and the journey's not finished yet, is it?
1: It's not finished.
0: Yeah. And so it's nice to have you back at the monastery as well, and Thank um, you, we hope we look forward to seeing you more. And um, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we encourage you to also uh, share your Dhamma with people in uh, uh, teaching and translating. And who knows? Maybe uh, we'll we'll work do some. Uh, some English Dhamma for Spanish speaking audiences in the the future as well. And who knows, even this interview might get, you might translate your own (laughs) own words. You do do the whole thing (laughs) in Spanish. Okay, so um, we appreciate your cooperation because we, you know, when we get somebody coming to the monastery, we have to... uh, Interrupt their meditations to bring them up and, and do this interview. So uh, we appreciate your cooperation, and I think it'll go out to uh, many people. Will enjoy these this. Uh, I think people are fascinated with this the sense of the the interweaving of of life and practice.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Bhante.